The rest of you can turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're looking uh, this morning at living generously. Living generously as in the body of Christ. What does that mean? What does it look like? Um, and it's a, a challenge for, I think, all of us in, in, in various ways because we both have to deal with a lot of different things, right? We're, uh, we live in a world that know, we know that we need a certain amount of stuff in order to just to kind of survive. Uh, you, you need, uh, if you're a family, you, you need a, a home, you need uh, transportation, you need a certain amount of, you know, obviously groceries, you, you need all, all of these things to survive. And yet at the same time, we're supposed to, in a sense, live generously to, to kind of and not just, not just now, but we have to think about the future, you know. I think, especially as an adult, college students, you can, uh, you can glean a little information from this, if you will. Like, when you become an adult, you realize, okay, I, and then you get married. One of the first things they talk to you about is get life insurance, you know, because they always have these horror stories, and they are horror stories of, like, you know, someone who, who gets, uh, who, who dies on their honeymoon and leaves their, you know, their wife with all their debt or something like that, right, uh, from school, uh, and so, but so immediately they start to kind of train you in, think about the future, think about the future, think about the future, and ensure the future in some, in some fashion, right? Whether it's life insurance or other types of insurance, or then ultimately like retirement, which is kind of the, your, your uh, uh, older years insurance. And I, I can say that now that I'm close to 50 in a sense, right? And so we think about these things, we have to plan for these things, and at the same time, we're, we're told to be generous, and we wonder, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? How do I know? I, I ran across the story, and I can't remember the author's name right now. I could, if you really want to know it, I can find it for you. Um, he was talking about the fact that he he decided to kind of cross the United States walking, you know, so basically, in a sense, be homeless for a long time walking across the United States. He had a bag, he had stuff. Um, he got to, he said he was in Montana, and he was uh, approaching this, you know, walking up the, uh, the on-ramp of an inter, interstate, and he, he saw another homeless guy coming, walking toward him, and he, you know, he, he's feeling the sense of, okay, I, I feel exposed because, you know, he had he wasn't the kind of quote the typical guy. He had you know things of value in his bag. He had his camera. He had his computer. He had he had stuff, um, his camping gear, etc. And uh, and so he's, he sees the other guy. Can tell he's been he's been in a sense on the road for a while. And he's like, okay, how's this going to go? And he's he's feeling nervous about it. And the guy's like, so where are you headed? And he's like, I'm headed to California. And he's like, well, do you have lunch? And he's, he feels tense because he's like, well, if I say, yeah, I've got food, then, then he's like, well, can I have some? <laughs> and, if I, so, and if I don't say I have food, that's a lie. So what he said, well, I've got some cheese. He's like, well, you're not going to make it to California on cheese. He's like, I, I was headed to, to see if they needed help at the mine. They don't need help today, so I don't need my lunch. So here's my lunch. And he gave him, he pulled out his you know, lunch and he gave him his lunch, you know, and then he walked away. And the guy was like, uh, I took, I've, I've learned a lot of lessons through life and through various experiences I've, I've had traveling internationally. It took, it took this guy to teach me what generosity looks like, was his, was his point of the, this author. And, and, and yet at the same time, we understand that we feel that exact same tension that that author felt, right? Like if you have possessions and you're trying to use those possessions well to do good in the world, you, 
you are trying to say, okay, I want to, to do that good, which means I need to be good stewards of those possessions. And at the same time, we are called to live generously, which in some ways means that we give stuff away, right? And as we think about this, I, I ran across this quote from Pastor J.D. Greer. He says this, if you are not generous, you've never really experienced the gospel if you feel guilty about how little generosity you show, you don't understand the gospel. He goes on to explain his reasoning. Basically, the idea is this. It is impossible to really experience Jesus and not be generous in response. He says, first, a major component of what it means to be truly converted is that you realize his kingdom is the most beautiful and lasting reality in the universe. You begin to find your significance in it and not in what you possess. So you don't have to spend lots of money to add beauty and significance to your life. Second, you recognize Jesus, not money, is your security for the future. So you don't have to save extravagant, extravagant amounts of money to feel secure. Third, to be truly saved means you have some sense of how gracious God has been to you. The Bible repeatedly says that the sign that you have tasted God's grace is you become gracious. So, so in this beauty of the gospel, the fact that Christ died for us and rose again, which means that, that he loves us and he loves us enough to give it to us freely as a gift that we receive by faith. In, in, in the midst of this gift that we've been given, how do we live generously? How do we practically live generously? How do we train ourselves and teach ourselves to live generously when the world around us, for the most part, is teaching us to live selfishly, right? To live for what I can hoard for myself, to do only what's good for me. And Paul is dealing with the Corinthians, and he's trying to help them to think this through as well. And they, he's not ashamed of them as if they're not being generous, but he is concerned for them that they pursue generosity in a good way. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, he deals with this situation where the, they, had, they had heard about the, the need of the Jews and the Christians, especially in Jerusalem, who were being persecuted by the Jews, and wanting to give to that. And they started a collection, if you will, to be generous to the, to the Christian Jews in Jerusalem. And they started that a year ago or so, or so and Paul is now writing them to saying, hey, Remember what you in, intended to do, and I'm, I want to seek to motivate you to continue in that. And by him using this situation and reminding them of these things, we get the blessing of, of learning how to think through living generously ourselves. And so follow along with me as I, as I look at this idea of, uh, the big idea of when we experience the gospel, we live generously. When we experience the gospel, we live generously. Notice how he starts it off in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among them, the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. 
Accordingly, we urge Titus that he, as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. He, he sent Titus to them. That's, that's, he's, that's his reference there. Titus was the messenger from Paul to, to the Corinthians with the Second Corinthians letter. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove the earnestness by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know that the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Here we have, in a sense, in my opinion, the, kind of the first point that Paul wants to make in this, uh, how, how do we think and live generously? And the first point is that we excel in grace, that we excel in grace. Notice again how he ends verse 7. See that you excel in this act of grace also, which takes the idea of the grace of God and it expands it. And it, it what helps us to maybe see it in, in a fuller light as to how Paul thinks through grace. Because grace obviously is God's riches to us at Christ's expense, is a good way of kind of summarizing that, right? That God gives us so many good things. He gives us forgiveness. He gives, gives us adoption into his family. He gives us re- redemption so that he takes even the, the mistakes that we made and he can make them into good things. He gives us just that, the fact that he has things planned out from, for us from the creation of the world that we can do good and we can be a part of his plan. These are all good things that God has given to us. Those are all grace. But here, grace, grace is the idea of, of something that overflows not just from God to us, but also from us to one another. And, and you see this, the word is excel here, to see that you excel in this act of grace also. When we, when we say that we think of the word grace, uh, ex- excellence, we think of something where we are seeking to achieve a, a point, or to, to, to reach a point of, of, of greatness, in a sense. The word here for excel in the, in the Greek is the word for abound. It's the idea of, again, overfluting, right? Overflowing. That idea that something comes up and it overflows the limits, so to speak. It's, the, it's a theme that's run all the way through Scripture, from, from Genesis chapter 1, where Paul, or not Paul, God, the creator, tells Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That idea of filling is there. And, he's, and obviously we learn from what it means in Genesis 2 because he, he creates a garden and he says, take this garden and let the garden fill the earth. And so in a sense, Adam and Eve's kind of challenge, command is to make the earth not take the, make, take the garden and use that as a pattern to make the whole earth into a garden, in a sense. And uh, it, it, with that, and you see that idea of filling, take it all the way into the New Testament where it, we're, we're told to be filled with the Spirit. Let, let the, the Spirit be so, in a sense, in control of us that it, He overflows into the actions that we accomplish. And so here, when he says excel in grace, he's, he's, saying, he's, he's saying this idea of letting it overflow, let, like, like a cup overflows on all sides in various ways. And he's, he's saying that he, to the church here. He's like saying, you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness. And what does he mean by that? I think the last phrase helps us to ca- get a better glimpse here. Because 
you would think he would say, in your love for us, right? Because that would be their activity toward Paul, right? You excel in that. But instead, he says, you excel in our love for you. And you're like, wait a second, Paul. (laughs) If we're talking about activity, how does your love for them equal a grace in their lives? But that's actually the point of grace is it's not our activity, right? It's God's activity through us. And part of what Paul is kind of pointing out, and the, and the Corinthians also believed it, was like, you, you realize that 1 Corinthians is the longest book <laughs> to a, a single church in the New Testament, right? It's the longest book. He, he spends so much time helping the Corinthians think through their issues, he has, he has spent so much, he has invested so much in them. He's, he's cared for them. He's interacted with them. He's, he's delighted in them. And, and, and part of the boast of the Corinthians, in a sense, is look how much Paul loves us. Look how, but not just Paul, but look how much God loves us by giving us Paul for these many months and, the, and, and through these interactions. And yes, you say, well, some of those interactions were tough. Yes, they were tough, but love often is tough at times, Right? And, and so it gives us a glimpse here of, of what he's trying to say when he says excel in this grace also because what he's saying in a sense is, look, Corinthians, you excel in faith. That is, you boast that as a church you trust God and you follow God and you see it in action in your lives together. You boast in speech. You, you, you say, look, God uses us and we, we have great preachers of the word and we speak the word to our community and we, and we do this well. You, you, we have, he says, you boast in knowledge. God's given us the grace of knowing his word and knowing his truth. And, 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 and these are the things, in a sense, that you, in a sense, celebrate together. They, they, they make your cup full as a church, so to speak, and then they overflow. And what he's saying here, ultimately, in a sense, is do you view your life and do you view the life of your church as the, the evidence of God's grace amongst you? You see the, the evidence of God's activity. You see this, this filling up action that's happening where God is at work in people's lives, transforming them, changing them, molding them, using them. And, and you're excited about that. You're boasting in that. You're, you're saying, look at the, the fullness of what we have. Well, you say, well, there's problems in the church as well. Yes, I understand that. There's, but you realize in some ways that that also is the grace of God. The grace of God to teach us. The grace of God to, to challenge us, to, to lay aside the weights and the sin which so easily beset us and look to Jesus. In a sense, what he's saying is, when he says, see that you excel in this act of grace also, is he saying, boast in it. Rejoice in the opportunity. Don't be sitting there like, oh yeah, we started this project, but man, what, what were we thinking? You know, This wasn't of God. No, he's saying, no, acknowledge that this is of God. We get a chance here to see God at work as we work. And, and let's engage that. Let's, let's let it overflow in us, in a sense, Right? Have you ever considered your life and seen not just all the challenges and problems and what about tomorrow and what about my retirement and what about next year and what about this and that? What if you just focused on what God is doing? 
how God is working, the opportunities that God has put in front of you? Do you excel in grace? That is, do you, do you notice, are you filled up with the grace of God in your life? You say, well, I've got challenges. Yes, but that's part of God's grace in you. He's going he's gonna to do something good, right? He promises to do something good. So, so why view it as just a problem when it's grace? And excel in grace. Let it overflow. Let it abound amongst you and in you. I, I know you don't always see everything that's happening at church, but... Man, I've just been rejoicing lately at hearing different people witnessing for Christ and, 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 and seeing that happening more and more in our church. People standing for truth and people caring for one another. Just, just the time of the retreat, I realize not everyone could be there, but the, the blessing we had of, of sharing life together. Man, we have the, 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 the blessing of, of having people that are going through suffering in our midst. You say, well, that's hard. It is hard. But the kingdom of God is greater than suffering, right? And you get to see their faith. I mean, the blessing of some of these people that are in our midst. I mean, I, I am filled up as a pastor watching people walk by faith in the midst of their suffering. We are a family together. We walk together. We weep together. We rejoice together. That is a gift from God that we should not take for granted. One of the ways that, uh, that it happened even this weekend was the middle schoolers were discussing the, my concept of overfluting in, in, their, in their class one time. And they came up with the, like, we want to overflude. So they, they took their money, and Keith and Tamara organized them. And they went around to the deacons yesterday and they delivered gifts saying, just thank you for being deacons, right? They were overfluting. That was their money, you know, they were using to show love and mercy, to be generous, right? And this is what, we cannot, we cannot move to, I better be generous if we don't start with, I notice God's generosity to me, right? That's Paul's exact point here at the beginning. Do you excel in seeing the grace of God at work in your midst? If you do not see it, you will not be generous. That's just, a, it's just part and parcel of how this works. Or you will choose to be generous, but it will not be, as point number two says here, choose, choosing cheerfully and freely. Generosity will feel like this girl um, this father tells a story about her, her, his daughter. She said the, the daughter was experienced. She was just in tears. Um, she had just learned to tie her shoes, okay? And her daughter's like, her father's like, why are you crying? And she said, I have to tie my shoes. He's like, you just learned how. It's not that hard, is it? I know she will, but I'm going to have to do it for the rest of my life. Right? I think that's sometimes how we feel about being generous, right? Like, what? Oh, you mean it's not just a one-time thing? Like, I've got to be generous, and, right? It, that's the, the, how, how do we do this so that we're doing it freely and cheerfully? And here, Paul gives us several examples, okay? And he mixes in 
the negatives and positives so we can think it through. And I'm just going to read the text in a sense and help you to see the, the examples that he lists. He starts with the example of Jesus, right? Verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of God, our, uh, grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was ri- yet rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Here's our first example of choosing freely and cheerfully. Jesus chose freely to give up his riches and to become poor so that we could become rich in God's grace. And then he goes on with another example. He says, in this matter, in, the, in this situation that he's talking about, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. He says, you're the ones who started, wanted, to, wanted to do it in the first place. They chose freely to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may have mat- been matched by your com- completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. What, what he's saying is this, in a sense. He says, you wanted to do this and you started to do this, and maybe, he's, he's not aware of their total situation, he's saying maybe when you envisioned what it would look like at the end, you had a much higher number <laughs> that you were thinking you were going to give at, at the end of a year or whatever. But what he's saying here is, don't worry about, the, the, in a sense, Uh, not reaching a a lofty goal, but just give out of what you have. And that's a great point to remember. I I remember talking to a a person who had gone through a church building program, and they were kind of lamenting over the uh, the amount of pledge that they had made. They, they, they They kind of made a pledge, and they kept the pledge, but they felt like it was... It was, it was too high, like they had given too much in a sense. It went from giving cheerfully to giving and freely to giving out of, more out of obligation. And there are times when God tests our faith. There's no question. But at the same time, you should never feel like it comes out of obligation. Okay, This is a free choice that we make. Otherwise, generosity is not generosity. And, and here... Paul is just reminding them, hey, it's okay. Give out of what you have. You can't give out what you don't have. Well, except with, with the banking system we have, you can give out of what you don't have, right? Because you can be in debt up to your ears and be like, oh, yeah, I'll give that, give that to you. No, no, no. Paul's not saying give out of your debt. He's, give out, he's, he's saying give out of what you have. Get out of the resources God is giving you. And, and that's important in, not only in this situation for us to remember as well. And then he keeps going. He says, uh, verse 13, For I did not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. He's referring, that, that quote there is from when they were in the wilderness, and God provided manna for them in the wilderness, right? In the morning, they would go out and gather. And, and he's saying, on a, on a daily basis, God supplies your needs. And so if you have extra at a certain time, it might be that God wants you to use what you, an extra that you have right now to help someone else who's in need right now. And not always be kind of planning for the future. Like, okay. 
And so he's, he's just saying, in situations, don't be, you know, kind of recognize when God gives you extra, <laughs> right? That the, the only way you can live generously if, is if you're aware of those situations so that you can give and take with one another. And then he, he goes on here in verse 16, and he says, But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you, for he not only accepted our appeal, but he himself, being very earnest, is going, is, coming, I'm sorry, is going to you of his own accord. So he, Titus even, is freely getting involved in this project. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course, verse 20, so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And what he's saying here is, even with our generosity, we should be responsible. We should think through how to conduct it in ways so it's not taken advantage of, right? You can think about it from their situation. They don't have banks. It's not like they could, the Corinthian church could deposit it in the bank and the Macedonian church could deposit it in the bank and then Paul would just travel to Jerusalem and he'd pull up his account in Jerusalem and he'd withdraw the money from Jerusalem and then he'd give it to the Jerusalem church. That's not how it would have worked, right? They would have had to get valuable items and or gold, silver, put it in bags and carry it on their bodies <laughs> to Jerusalem. And in that process, right, there's the danger of theft, but there's also a, uh, probably a greater danger of embezzlement, right? Like, I've got, I'm carrying all this money, I can just disappear into the millions of people in the Roman Empire and no one would be able to find me. And so he's saying we're, we're taking care to do it honorably, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in, in man's. And when we give generously, we should, we should have some awareness, right? That's why we as a church, we divide up who's in charge of paying bills, who's in charge of getting money in, right? So that we take responsible care over those kinds of issues. Notice, notice how he ends this here. He kind of summarizes it this way. If you go jump down to 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, here it's up on the screen. Here's, here's his main point about this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's two components here, right? It's a free choice. It's not under compulsion. It's not reluctantly. But it's a free choice we make. I, I out of what God has done for me and the resources I, that I see I have, I choose to live generously. But also, it's done to cheerfully. That is, there's a goal of joy in the situation. The, the, the sense is, is that we, we live in light of joy, that we think in terms of joy, that we're thinking not just, well, I, I need to, to, I'm supposed to live generously and I, I receive God's grace, so I better pour it out on someone else. But I want, I want joy to result amongst us as we, again, celebrate the grace of God together. And a couple of ways this plans out as we think about, he talks here also about just prepare, preparation. He's like, he's like I'm, I'm in for the first five verses of chapter nine, he's like, I just want you to be prepared for when this all takes place. So if we take these principles, I think there's a couple of things we should think about, about just about living our lives generously. 
The, the first concept that, that I would, would encourage you to think about is the idea of tithing, right? The idea of taking a 10, 10% and saying, okay, as God gives me day to day, week to week, month to month, I'm taking 10% of that and using it, giving it to him, right? Why? Because that keeps us in that sense of, well, God's, God's my provider. God's my provider. I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, kind of worried about where the money comes from because I realize God is the one who provides for me. But it also keeps you thinking about in terms of what you have now. And what, if you have extra resources now, you can give extra. If you have less resources now, you can give less. That's okay. Well, God has put us at different points in different times in our lives where sometimes you're making more, sometimes you're making less. And, and tithing is just a, a way of ap- applying that. This, uh, Ed Young, in, in his sermon, tells the story about his family. He says, I took my family to a high school football game. During the third quarter, my daughter, Landra, said, Dad, can I have some money to buy some candy? No, I'm not a big candy guy, he says, but I said, Landra, here's $5. Go and buy some candy. So she came back with a sack full of Skittles. You know, I'm sure it's one of those packages, right? Those packages of Skittles, right? As I watched her eat them, I said, Landra, can I eat, can I have some of those Skittles, right? She said, no. I said, Landra, just give me a couple. She said, they're mine. My, he says, my da- little daughter didn't understand several things. Number one, she didn't understand that I was the one who bought the Skittles for her. That was my money, right? Number two, she didn't realize my strength. Like, I'm strong enough, I could have taken those Skittles from her and eaten every one of them if I wanted to. Number three, she didn't understand that I could have gone to the concession stand, put 300 packages of Skittles on my credit card, come back to her and given her so many Skittles that she couldn't have eaten them all in a year. He says, the point is this, we all have Skittles. Some of us have a pretty nice size of Skittles. Others have medium-sized piles and others have little bags. But our loving God comes to us and says, would you bring me some Skittles? just a few Skittles. And sometimes our reaction is, no, they're mine. God says, look, I'm the one who gave you the Skittles. I can take them away and I can give you way more. Can't we just listen to him and trust him with our lives? And just, if you want stories about, you know, I realize some people haven't lived that way and thinking about transitioning into regular giving and those percentages to God is a challenge. I know, Lauren Vanderbilt, one of our deacons here, he, he, he had that struggle himself. And if, if you want to get some great stories, they're his stories, so I'm not going to tell them. But he's got some great stories about making that transition himself. And, and, and I just want to point out here, too, in the process, right? There's limits to this, right? Paul is just acknowledging there are times, there are, there are situations where you are limited. Things come up. Things change. You can't give out of what you don't have. And yet, at the same time, going back to that excelling grace concept, I think we should rejoice when we're faced with our own limits because we realize that I'm not building the kingdom of God. <laughs> I'm just a small part in it. He's the one doing it. Can I just make the point about inflation? I don't know about you, but, you know, inflation hits me, right? My, my, my food budget is greater you know, no, actually, it's my food expenses is greater than my budget, right? <laughs> right, at this point in, in time. Uh, my, my bottom line is tighter, right? And yet, at the same time, I'm reminded of Proverbs, right? Where it says, God, don't give me so much that I ignore you. And don't give me so little that I'm, uh, that I'm stealing. Give me just enough so I know I'm trusting you, right? 
And sometimes inflation is a great reminder to us that we should be trusting God and not our incomes, right? That God is in control of us, not the U.S. government, not the world economy. He is in control. We can trust him. We can rejoice in when God puts us in those situations. We can rejoice and and trust him and, and find joy where we're at because we can give cheerfully. And that's really the point is why do why do we do this together as a church? Because Because sharing together helps us work together for our joy. We we get to see God's grace together. When we come together, we say, let's give to some missionaries and let's set aside this portion of our budget. And hey, you guys, you want to have this kind of budget as a church because we want to give to missionaries? Why do we do that? Why? Because we want to say together, we want to say, hey, look what God is doing through us by supporting these people who are sharing the gospel in various places. Now, you can do it on your own, and there's nothing wrong with doing it on your own. But there's a certain joy that comes from sharing together, from working together, from, from kind of saying, okay, what about this missionary versus this missionary? And not that we're in a, a competition or a, a popularity contest, but we're just saying, what does God want us to do together? Why? Because we are working together for joy, which is really the point of the the last point that I think he's making in this idea of, of, of generosity and living generously, it's so in order to reap. So in order to reap. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says the point is this. In a sense, he's just summarizing everything he said in chapter 8 and 9. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's like, do you realize what what, what you're doing? In some ways, what we do when we give, when we live generously, is we're sowing in order to reap something greater later, right? We're we're thinking, I'm not just giving this away, but I'm, I'm sowing something for the future, future joy, future blessing, as we see God's grace spread to more and more people. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You see that they changed the Excel translation, right? Excel in this act of grace also, they changed it back to abound here, right? Because this is what God is doing in us. And he's, he's saying, look at all the superlatives, right? God is make, able to make all grace overflow <laughs> to you, Right? So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Do, do you see his point here? Is this is all of grace. The grace we receive, the grace that overflows from us to others, it's all about what God is doing. And he's saying, grasp that, live in light of that, sow into that. Verse 10 says this, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Again, we're not sowing in order to receive back money. We're sowing to to bless people, to increase the harvest of our righteousness, in a sense. Randy Alcorn uses this great illustration. He says, suppose you buy shares of General Motors. What happens? You suddenly develop interest in General Motors, right? You check the financial pages. You see an article about GM and read every word, even though a month ago you would have passed right over it. Suppose you're giving to help African children with AIDS. 
When you see an article on the subject, you're hooked. If you're sending money to plant churches in India and an earthquake hits India, you watch the news and fervently play. He says, do you wish you cared more about eternal things? Then reallocate some of your money, maybe most of your money, from temporal things to eternal things. Put your resources, your assets, your money, your possessions, your time and talents and energies into the things of God and watch what happens. As surely as the compass needle follows north, your heart will follow your treasure. Money leads, hearts follow. Where are you investing? Where are you sowing? Do you want to live generously? Invest in the grace of God. Delight in the grace of God. And do it freely and cheerfully. Because this is not a sprint, this is a marathon. What rewards are you looking for? Joy, grace, unity? Invest in this. (laughs) Sow in order to reap. I ran across this this video of uh, some ladies in North India and how they're kind of approaching this. And I'm going to show part of it and then I'll explain this. It's too, it's too long, but if you want, to, you want to see the rest of it later, you can let me know. Uh, so just... Uh, I don't know. There are many ways of serving the Lord. Some people do great things. Some people are good preachers. Some people contribute lots and lots of money. But when we talk about this handful of rice, it is very humble. The service is done in the corner of the kitchen that nobody sees. But God knows. God bless. Every day, simple women in the state of Mizoram in Northeast India are spearheading a revolution that is sweeping the world of missions. Their movement, Bufai Thang, or a handful of rice. Bufai Thang is a practice where each Mizo family puts aside a handful of rice every time they cook a meal and later gather it and offer to the church. The church in turn sells the rice and generates income to support its work. Rice has been the staple food of the people of Mizoram, the main life of the people. You are giving what is basic, essential, fundamental to your life. You are sharing that with God. The handful of rice ministry started in Mizoram in 1910. That time, many people did not know the gospel. So the church thought that we need Bible women to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible women, they are locally supported women for evangelism. The practice of Bufaitam is meant for supporting those Bible women. This concept. I'll, I'll just stop it right there. So you, you get, the, get the sense of it. Well, so in 1910, they started this practice where the women would take a handful of rice, set it aside, and then they would eventually they'd give it to the church. And in 1910, they raised a dollar and 50 cents. 
but it was all going to help support women evangelists in, you know, or in their area. Well, the gospel has spread in that area because of various things, obviously. And in, uh, in 2010, they raised $1.5 million <laughs> in, in, in just in, again, a handful of rice. And my, my point to you is not, hey, for some of you, you have a lot. And you could, don't think 10%, think 20%, 30% of what you have. But for all of us, hey, do you have a handful of rice? Like, can you, on a daily basis, think, oh, I can give this to God? I know I'm trusting God here, or a weekly basis. I'm trusting God with this. I'm going to give this to God and see what he could do with it. And obviously, for none of us, it's probably going to be rice, just being honest. There's a few, it might be that. But, but for all of us, we, we have things, we have resources, and, and we, we know of needs, and we can live generously. I, I preach to myself here because I tend to want to think, okay, you know, how am I going to survive into retirement, you know? And at the same time, I have to think, God has given me so much grace. He's given me so much mercy. He's provided so much for me. What can I freely and cheerfully do to, to overflow in grace? Just like those middle schoolers who are like, okay, we can't do a ton, but we can do this. And they did it. He ends, right, chapter 9 with this phrase, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Look, this is all about grace. And therefore, it has to be done freely. It has to be done cheerfully. If you get away from that, you're gonna, it's going to fall apart. But because we've received grace, we can be free. And we can give cheerfully. Because we, we're sowing into something that's greater than ourselves. And we're seeking to reap eternal joy, eternal peace, eternal love with those who God works amongst and in, right? So let's live generously. Let's seek to rejoice in grace together. Will you do that? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace in our lives. And Lord, we want it to be this overflowing function where we feel, we feel full of your grace and then it overflows in, in various ways to other people. And they don't view it as us, they view it as your grace in and amongst us. And we, we, we live in awe and joy of this grace that is operating amongst us. Lord, we don't want to take this for granted. We don't want to downplay it and like, well, well, we didn't give a million dollars to missions this year. No, it's not about that at all. It's just rejoicing in your grace amongst us and, and delighting in your goodness. And at the same time saying, let us live generously together, freely, cheerfully, because we want to invest in our joy together. We thank you for your grace. Thank you, God, for your inexpressible gift. In your son's name, amen.